Hey y'all, AB3 here. Before we get started with today's show, I just want to give you a couple of updates on the greatest hunting app that there is right now. Of course, I'm talking about the Onyx Hunt app. I have it. I don't go into the woods without it. Onyx Hunt, man, that application saved me so many times. I want to tell you about the wind and weather. We all know that plays a big part in what we do, how we decide to hunt, where we decide to hunt. And when you have the Onyx Hunt application, you can see hour by hour forecasts for wind speed and direction. Check it out for the next eight days, any spot that you hunt on your map up to the next eight days. That means you can plan, plan ahead, kind of like how they said in the AT movie, plan ahead, amigo. You can do that when you got the Onyx Hunt app. Weather updates coming from 100,000 weather stations, refreshed every 15 minutes. Large intuitive visuals make it easier for hunters to identify weather patterns, make those in moment decisions, switch it up, kill those big deer, kill those big elk, get after those ducks and geese, making quick on the spot decisions, man, to help you be successful. Trim tracks, man. If you got the trim tracks, you can easily get to and from your stand. Sometimes you forget to turn your trim tracker off. Now with the trim tracks, you can trim those extra steps, get it down to a precise direct route in and out of your hunt area. Onyx Hunt, know where you stand. Make sure if you don't have it for your Android or your iPhone, it is available. You can also use it on your browser. Web maps are available. Whatever you choose to use, just make sure you're using Onyx Hunt. From Stone Mountain, Georgia, this is the Bryant Land Show, hosted by Proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. Man, welcome in to another exciting Monday, another great episode of the Bryant Land Show. Hopefully, you are listening on our website, bryantlandcountry.com. BryantlandCountry.com. Hopefully you are listening to the podcast there. If you're not, when you finish listening to the podcast, make sure you go on over to BryantlandCountry.com. Want to say thank you and what's up to the folks at Onyx Hunt. Want to say thank you and what's up to the folks at Traeger Grills. And a big thank you and what's up to the folks over at Our Set of Boots. All of those good companies sponsoring the Bryantland show or sponsoring our hunting and fishing endeavors in some form of fashion, make sure you go and check them out. Now that we got that out of the way at the top of the show, I want to talk about who I have on the show today. My guest, if you will, today is Scott Ellis, four-time national, excuse me, four-time grand national champion turkey caller scott came through earlier in the week or should i say earlier last week 
We had a great conversation talking turkeys, talking about duck hunting, deer hunting, life, everything that you can uh, think of. It's crazy because we had never spoken to each other, never met other than following each other on social media. And man, we had a really awesome conversation. I couldn't wait to share this conversation with you guys. I think you're going to really enjoy it. You know, deer season here, at least here in Georgia, where I hunt, is done, over, kaput, wrap it up, get ready for next year, if you will. Small game hunting is going on, squirrel hunts and stuff like that. Had a big squirrel hunt out there with the Buckwild uh, Hunting Club this past weekend. I wasn't able to attend, but shout out to the Buckwild Hunting Club, Corey Bryant, all the good folks over there doing wonderful things at the Buck Wild Hunt Club, but if you're not into small game, then turkey hunting should be the next thing on your radar. Well, I'll say it like this. Small game hunting's going on right now. Conservation, getting ready to kick off for like duck and geese. Those uh, conservation hunts where you can just go out there. Well, I shouldn't say duck. I'm sorry. I don't want to misspoke, um, misspeak getting ahead of myself, but conservation goose hunts going, getting ready to uh, pop off. But today is all about turkeys, all about turkey season, like I said, with Scott Ellis. And apparently I'm excited because I'm just talking over myself and rambling. So what I'm going to do is back on up, move out the way, and let you guys listen to my conversation with Scott Ellis here on the Bryantland Show. Bryantland. I can honestly say... Yeah, this is going to be a treat right here. Four-time Grand National Champion. Multiple turkey slams under your belt. <laughs> and just a all-around turkey killer. Scott Ellis, welcome to the Bryantland Show, man. Thank you for taking the time, bro. I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be getting turkeys on my mind. And spring is right around the corner here in Central Florida. As we spoke offline about first hunt will be next month with Jake and the uh, South Zone Youth Hunt last weekend in February. So it's right around the corner. I'm looking forward to it. That is bananas because, like, here in Georgia, and I think you guys have a pretty um, early and lengthy deer season down in Florida. It's like we started deer season like the second week in September, I know some people in South Carolina. I'm from South Carolina, born and raised, so I know people in South Carolina. And South Carolina yep. starts in like mid-August. August. Yeah, yeah I, and I, I lived in Columbia for about five years, my friend. I was in the army at Jackson for at Fort Jackson. For, absolutely, I killed my first eastern turkey on Fort Jackson in 1995 when I got back from Korea. Yeah, but sorry to get sidetracked you there, but no, yeah, but that's that's bananas because. So turkey season 95, let's see, I was still in high school and then I was a freshman at Carolina the fall of 95. That's just, that's Yeah, that's I was fun. there. We were there same time. Wow. But no, my point was it's like you have a long deer season and mm-hmm. you know deer hunting has become my thing the last couple of years and it's like, you know, finally we get to January and you kind of decompressing. But the other night, I'm looking at my turkey calls, 
And I'm like, well, shit, turkey season's going to be here pretty <laughs> soon. And if I'm going to get any better at turkey hunting, being a late onset adult hunter, I got to go ahead mm-hmm. and get started. So, but like you said, that youth season, late February in Central yep. Florida or in uh, Southern Florida, South man. Florida, yeah. Yeah, wow. they're already gobbling here. We've had a, a relatively chilly winter for us. We haven't had this many cool temps consecutively in years and uh i think it's got them a little bit uh they're gobbling a little less than they normally would be right now but they are already gobbling matter of fact where we're going to be hunting my buddy said yeah they were hammering the other morning it was about 55 degrees and they were choking themselves gobbling their brains out but absolutely it's uh it's super exciting time for the year for us down here with it kicking off so early um that's about the only thing good about florida is the early turkey seasons because i don't (laughs) i'm born and raised here and i don't care much for the state to be honest with you but there is that so (laughs) wow well i mean i like my when when i used to travel um with the with the bucks when i traveled with with those guys with the nba team i was doing uh was directing their telecast um, we always, well, I did being the Southerner because most of the people on our crew was born and raised in Wisconsin. Me being the true Southerner that I am, I always look forward to our trips to Orlando and Miami. Matter of fact, real quick, funny story. You'll appreciate this. We went to <laughs> Miami, or I'm sorry, to Orlando, and we had a couple, a uh, couple extra days off before the team played the Magic. And mm-hmm. I talked to the team security guy because, like, everybody always brings their golf clubs. So I okay. talked to the security guy and I said, hey, can I bring my bow? Like, is there any difference, like, you know, seeing that we're on the charter or whatever? Is there anything, like, different that I need to do or whatever? He was like, uh, well, no, if it's just a bow. He said, like, if it was a firearm, that'd be different. But if it's just mm-hmm. a bow, he's just like – just let me know what case is in. I'll take care of you. I was like, cool, I said, because I want to go hog hunting. And if I kill a oh, hog, okay. I'll you. definitely hook you up with some chops. He was like, bet. So we get there. <laughs> we get to Orlando. I forgot where we were coming from, but we got in late. And the equipment guys were pulling off, you know, because they put everybody's bags and equipment together. And then they separate it when we get to the hotel. So they're out there, you know, unloading everybody's equipment and whatnot. And my bow case comes up and one of the equipment guys, he was like, is that, is, is this a, what I think? Is I was like, yeah, it's mine right here. I got it. And like, <laughs> so I grab my bow case, take it up to my room. You know, we do the game or whatever. Team goes back to Milwaukee. I stay in Orlando. I kill two hogs, drive back to Georgia to get them processed. And then gave my security, gave the uh, security officer like three packs of pork chops and everybody was nice. happy. So it was oh, like, wow. that's <laughs> a good story, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I always look forward to going to, to coming down to Florida, but I can understand, you know, like you said, born and raised after a while, you know, things start changing and, and it's mm-hmm. not quite the same like how it was when you grew up. And sometimes you're kind of like, mm, I don't know about this place anymore. Well, you know, the biggest thing is I was in the army for six years and everywhere I lived outside when I left the state had four seasons. So for, <laughs> for the six years I was in and then the all oh, about a year I, I lived in South Carolina after I got out, I lived in the Eastover. Um, I got to I got to experience Korea, uh, Fort Hood, Texas and Fort Jackson. So there's my three duty stations. 
and got to experience four seasons. And it's just a real game changer for me to be able to, to go through the time. And the hunting's better everywhere, and there are places to hunt. Everywhere I've been, you know, you, it's hard to find a place to hunt in Florida. you got to know people or have a lot of money to get an expensive lease. Yeah. Um, really, especially here in Central Florida. Up in North Florida, you can find paper company leases that are a little more affordable. But um, right here in Osceola land, in the heart of it, and down south, it's really, really hard. I mean, I'm talking leases $10,000 a year Jesus. to be a member. Yeah. More and more that I've got in my pocketbook. So, <clears throat> at any rate. Yep. Man. So now, before you became a certified turkey killer, <laughs> I was doing my research, and it said you started hunting at five, and you right. started with ducks and deer. What I mm. really, what I want to know is how did you not get sucked into deer? I mean, into uh, ducks like lifetime, because most duck hunters I know they had like duck calls in their hands when they were instead of like rattlers, they had duck calls. So right. like, how did, so, how did you get out of that? Oh, I'm not out of, I'm not out of duck hunting. Matter of fact, I was supposed to hunt last weekend. We were, I had a buddy who was scouting some public water. Um, but I don't really travel out of state to duck hunt. So to answer your question, I do still do it when I can, but just not as frequently. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, the flyways have just been really strange. That's a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> right. it's just been really bizarre down here. Florida used to be a high producer for the Atlantic flyway, and we have just not got the birds anymore. And and then when you do find them, there's 80 million duck dinosters <laughs> just riding around in their mud boats and their air boats chasing the ducks everywhere. Uh, it's crazy. So... It's got to the point where we, we just, you know, I'd like to go out west and do some stuff in the, you know, the Mississippi Delta, Louisiana, Arkansas, yep. and I just never got around to doing it. But so to answer your question, no, I still would, I love calling. I learned to call ducks before I learned to call turkeys, believe it or not. Man, yep. and see, it's always funny to me when I hear people say about the about the duck dynasters because I <laughs> I got the duck dynasty late. I was a swamp people guy, so I, I loved right. watching Swamp people and then a buddy of mine was like, you really should watch Duck Dynasty. And I was just like, I wasn't interested. And then when I finally started watching it and laughing and seeing, you know, what it was all about, it's always funny because people be like, well, the damn Duck Dynasty hunters are ruining duck hunting. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, but the TV show, they probably, like, if you watch the TV show, they probably hunted 5% of the time, and then the rest of the time, it was just shenanigans. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but it did inspire masses, my friend. I can tell you that. It just really did. It was a, And it was great for the duck call and the ammunition and the, the, whole, the whole duck hunting industry. It was great for it. It yep. was great for them. It was not good for the public water duck hunter, though. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. So it is I missed that wave because I came, like I said, I, I got the Duck Dynasty late. And then by the time I became interested in duck and goose hunting, that show was on its way on its way out. But I would, like the people that I would go with or like if I would go, you know, like with a guide or whatever, I would hear like a lot of people that I shared like blinds or, you know, whatever with just like, oh, these daggum so-and-so duck dynasty hunters, especially mm -hmm. on public water and coming in yep. with their fishing, with their bass boats, with red paint <laughs> <laughs> flaring everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and they sound like they're calling with a gazoo. Out their yeah. Boat. That's what we call it. Yeah. 
Sound like a duck with a, a sick duck or however you want to analogy you want to use, but yeah. That was funny. Now it is stuff. so so you got you started when you were five, which like I said, that that's amazing. And then so that was with your dad, right? My dad and my uncle. That's right. Wow. Started also squirrel squirrel hunting and, and uh, dove hunting as well. I was Taught gun safety with a Red Rider BB gun, um, literally four or five years old, probably about four actually. I started being taught gun safety, control of the weapon, safety on, safety off, identify your target, all of the, the cardinal rules to gun safety, and was very responsible. And then by five, I was uh, shooting a 410 and then started actually shooting that dove and, and uh, duck hunting and deer hunting. I think the ducks actually came a little later than five. Um, but the squirrels and the dove were five, six, seven, around eight. I killed my first deer at eight years old, I believe. 1985, however many years ago that was, oh, a man. while. Yeah, so, and then <clears throat> about 12 or 10, 10 or 12 is when the uh, I went on a fall turkey hunt with a gentleman, unfortunately, that I've lost contact with. I don't even know if he's still alive. But, you know, you don't associate, most turkey hunters associate turkey hunting with just got spring gobbler hunting. And there's right. nothing wrong with it, but... Fall hunting is a lot of fun and can be a lot of fun too, but that was the first t time I was introduced to turkeys. And I'll never forget him putting that mouth call in his, in his mouth and running a call. And I remember thinking, my gosh, this is the most amazing sound-making instrument I've ever heard in my life. Now, look, in retrospect, he was probably about a skosh below average on a mouth call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but at the time, I thought he absolutely, that thing was like, is, is like his mouth open and sunshine came out. You know what I mean? It was just like horns were going off and this guy was just, he was the deal. So um, it was a great time, and I, I, we never heard or saw a turkey, but I was absolutely enthralled with the fact that you could communicate with these birds, mm -hmm. and they would talk back to you, and you could have a conversation, and I was, I'd never look back. I was, I was in love with wild turkeys after that. Wow. Now, would, because, you know, going back to duck calls real quick, like I've been to kind of like the duck, museum like the big bass pro shop in memphis like the the mm. um ducks unlimited they have like all these different like paraphernalia like guns and decoys and all that kind of stuff from back in the day my point is like with that gentleman was there a big difference between mouth calls um from then or with that guy than they are now i mean technology is always changing and stuff but what is there like a drastic difference um, ironically, the calls that he ran, it was Quaker boy calls. Um, I was on staff with Quaker boy for several years. That was my company growing up as a kid. Of course, I've been with Woodhaven now for, I guess, 12 years this next, this month. Oh, wow. but anyways, um, those same calls, I think it was a, uh, it was a cutter and it was a, it was a three pack, a pro pack. It came in like a, a brown snuff can. And I think it was a cutter, an old boss hen, and a pro triple. And so to answer your question, they still sell those calls, and, you can see, and they still run just great. So there has been a lot of innovations and tensions and stretches, myself included. I've got five signature calls with, with Woodhaven. I've got the bladed V, the yellow venom, the black reactor, the new energy, and the raspy red reactor. I don't know how I was able to spot all those off that fast. Because <laughs> they got your name on it. That's why. <laughs> well, I know, but that, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about getting senile sometimes. But um, <laughs> so those calls, if you look at them, every one of those calls are unique cuts. They're not, the only thing that's close to industry standard is my new energy call. And that's a split B, but I, I trim the, wind, the wings back. 
on the sides so it gives it a little easier front end it keeps a cleaner front on the yelp but yet it's still raspy and still sounds turkey um, but that outside of that the other four are completely yeah, they're just different different slits and different cuts and and they do create different hen turkeys without a doubt so um, and then the other thing I, I mentioned was tension um, the calls of the old days were very loosely stretched and as a call maker myself obviously I figured out a long time ago you can do a lot with a call by upping the tension like going dr dramatically the opposite direction like if you stretch the call at point 100 or point we'll call it point 125 which is a quarter inch of side stretch mm -hmm. I can double that. Like some of my, my signature calls are like 0 .250. They're they are a half inch of side stretch, and you have to do that to uh, to identify what the, the the factors are. You go from 100 to 300, and then you bounce around in between there, and then you tinker, and then you can find a lot of different hen turkey and a lot easier usership, if you will, um, a user friendly call by adjusting tension on the back and the sides actually. So. You just have to do some tinkering, and and I think there's the latex. I don't think is as good as it once was. I will say that. Um, huh. I don't think the latex has now got fillers in it, mm -hmm. and it does not last as long, and it does not have the same resonance that it once had. But outside of that, um, that was a really long answer to a simple question. But yeah, there's been some innovations um, in design and in in uh, uh, craftsmanship. I think, but at, at the end of the day, I think materials suffer a little bit from what they used to be. Is it more because do you think because of the the mass production or just uh, the just, just the material the, itself or it's just the latex? Yeah, I don't know if the rubber prices are so expensive that they can't get because I mean you're thinking if you think about it like this like Theraband you know the the Theraband that you use to do your uh, res resistance training and stuff with okay that's yep. the same thing that that you know that, except it's in giant rolls and then they and it's going to be thinner there is a Theraband that's like four thousandths that works pretty good but ultimately it's in big strips like that but it's actually in a sheet like a bed sheet and then they cut it it's 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 uh, extruded and then uh, and then ran over a roller and then it's cooled down and then they slice it and dice it and make it little squares and my point is, whoever's manufacturing it, I don't know if it's production costs they're trying to get down to maintain pricing, but there are fillers in the rubber. It's not 100% latex rubber. And the reason why I know this is because I was in the plastics industry for 10 years, and I can just tell you that we use calcium as an, a uh, filler to add weight to the pots that would inve inevitably cause the pots to crack in time. They would dry, dry out and crack because it wasn't pure virgin material. So that's what I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing calls dry rotting and, and, and just wow. they lose their elasticity in no time. So I don't know. It is what it is. I mean, calls last me about a season anyways. You know, as much as I run them in the woods, I, I, and I make my own. You know what I mean? I have my own, I have my own two materials, and I stretch up my designs and that I have a Woodhaven. And, but they literally, if you put any use to them anymore, I get about a season out of one anymore. If you use toothpicks and take care of them, here's a great tip. I've got a YouTube clip on there about it use a toothpick to keep that top reed from sticking and it'll last a lot longer for you as well that is crazy because clearly i have not been using my mouth calls enough because i've been using the same like three i'd say probably about the same four or five mouth calls over the last three seasons so clearly wow. I, I am well, not doing enough turkey hunting are you keeping them in the fridge at least, or are they just in your vest? They're in the – I keep them in the plastic. Um, they come in like those little plastic containers. 
Right. Um, and I keep them in the plastic containers, and then they uh, they're in my turkey bag. So I don't leave them leave the call completely exposed. Like I, I at least right. keep them in the in the plastic. I was reading though on your website about that though. They like keeping them in the refrigerator, and I said I was going to ask mm-hmm. you about that. Like what? So what? What is what? I guess what does that um do to them? It just gets it preserves the life of uh, of the tape and the latex. Really, I mean, it's it's dark and cool, and um, it it's it just controlled environment. It just extends the life of the latex, keeping them in the fridge. Now, anything you do not outside of leaving them in your truck is going to be better. You know what I mean? You can leave them at room temperature and pack them away. That's not horrible for them, but. Don't ever leave them in your pickup truck or out in your hunting camper or whatever because the, the heat's the worst thing that can happen to latex and a mouth call. It, it will ruin them in a heartbeat. And plus, I always just felt like, you know, just leaving them out and leaving them exposed and you're talking about something that you're constantly putting in your mouth. It was just like, okay, well, at least I should, like, keep it, you know, in the little plastic container to keep it covered. I mean, God forbid right. what what could land on a mouth call if you just leaving it on like leaving it out or whatever. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. Keep them protected, and you know they're very delicate. The reed gets ripped or tugged on it. It's it's ruined. So, yep. Man, now I I do want to talk more about like your beginnings and stuff, but since you you've bought it up and. It's definitely something that had piqued my curiosity during my research. Now, you said that you customize and you make your own calls. Like, what all goes into that and about how long does it take for you to make a call and get it, like, to where you want it and it's sounding like how you want it and stuff like that? Uh, not long. Mouth calls are not that hard. To, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to talk wood hand out of sales here, <laughs> but I mean, you know, there's definitely an art to it. You have to have hand-eye coordination. You have to be able to cut, make the little cuts. You have to be able to make sure you get the, create the call with no wrinkles. So there's still, there, you know, but literally a few minutes to make a mouth call. And then if I, I, there's not many I make that won't run literally, um, the only, the only difference there would be if I'm just tinkering around with a cut design and I'm shaving this or cutting this a little deeper or taking a little more out of this notch or whatever. But outside of that, I mean, I can have a, have you set of calls in about ten minutes, and you're ready to go turkey hunting. <laughs> wow! Now, are you a strictly mouth call? Like, do you deal with like a box call or slate calls or oh, yeah. anything yeah. like that? That's absolutely. I carry a couple pot calls. I carry uh, the Woodhaven Vision Crystal, and then I carry a Ninja Aluminum. That's what I have my best now. It, it changes from year to year a little bit. You know, we come up with a new call. I might find a new favorite one, whatever. But I've always got a vision crystal in there. And then uh, I carry a cherry real hen or a ninja hen. One of the two I'll carry box call-wise. And then I'm a huge uh, tube call advocate. I've been running a tube call since I was a kid. And we have huh. a ninja tube. And I run that and love it, love it, love it for running and gunning. And then, of course, I'll carry probably – I have a crappy jig case like for for crappy fishing mm-hmm. crappy crappy however we call them specs in florida but you know what i'm talking about jig case and, and it'll hold probably i'll probably carry 50 mouth calls in the woods because another great tip is simple the simply i change calls uh religiously because what happens is that latex within five ten minutes your latex gets saturated with saliva mm-hmm. and, and it loses the sound qualities it, you've got about a 10 15 minute window when that call is going to sound as good as it will sound 
And then after that, it'll still sound okay. But if you have a good ear for it, like, I mean, I have a pretty good ear for it. I, it gets, it gets drenched, you know, saturated and then loses some of its life. So I'm always the guy that's constantly flipping in a new call. Yep. That is wow. Cause it is funny. Cause I've sat and I've thought, you know, like, um, you know, I'll pick a call and I'll start out with this one, like really no rhyme or reason. Like I'll start out with one call and then I'll hit that one a few times and then it's almost like, okay, well, maybe they don't like that one. So then I'll switch and then I'll try another call. But I never thought about the fact that, you know, like you said, well, because you're having it in your mouth and then because a lot of times I like to bow hunt turkeys, most of the time that thing is just sitting in my mouth, like, you know, and I'm hitting it every you know, so often, especially with Easterns, because everything that I've ever heard about Easterns is that you you can overcall them, so you don't want to call them mm-hmm. to death. So it, the call is just sitting in my mouth, you know, in whatever interval and making the calls and stuff. But that 50, wow. And I thought my five was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a, I carry a bunch. So, and it, and it, I, I can, we can get into a much more deeper conversation about becoming a better caller. Um, but I, I can take one particular mouth call and probably sound like four distinctively different hens, um, distinctively different. And, um, but a lot of people will carry six or eight different models. They can't do that. So they'll carry a split V and then a ghost cut and then maybe a cutter style call or a combo just so they can sound like a different hen. So there's two different angles that, and when I do it is I, I carry different cuts and designs as well. So I can sound like about 400 different hens out of my one call box. So there you go. I got that going for me. <laughs> hey, I mean, variety, not only is the spice of life, but it damn sure helps you kill turkeys. So absolutely, <laughs> it, it has more times than I can even remember by changing the voice to the hen. Uh, it's amazing. Turned them around in there and they're, Turned them completely around just by doing a different kind of hen. Now, here's one that I heard last year, and it it cracked me up. I believe if it, I believe it was the host of the uh, Strutcast um, podcast, and God, his the the guy that hosts that podcast, his name escapes me right now but it's, um i think uh, i've been on that one too but i'm not i've been on no offense i've been on quite a few of these that i don't know i know after a while they kind of um they kind of run together but um i was listening to that podcast and he said you know like turkey <laughs> it cracked me up he said turkeys were made to be shot in the face um <laughs> Are you Lock Wheeler? That's his name. That's the guy that hosted uh hosts that podcast. Uh, um, I don't have it on that one. Lot Wheeler? Lock. Lock. I don't I can't remember. But at um, any rate. But yeah, so, so he but he, I remember him saying he was like, um, you know, turkeys were made to be shot in the face. That's funny. Gun hunter, bow hunter, or both? When Me? it comes to turkeys, yeah. Oh, gun only. I love the whitetail hunt with a bow. I almost exclusively hunt deer with a bow. Mm-hmm. But I have never killed a turkey with a bow, and I don't know that I'll ever carry one. Just not my thing. I like smelling gunpowder, and I like watching them flop. <laughs> and they don't do that generally when with a bow shot. They're going to run off, and you know, unless you spine them. But no, yeah. they, I, I've 
always tell people to this day, like I said, like I told you when we were talking offline, I, I am a late onset adult hunter. I started hunting when I was 38. Um, my absolute greatest accomplishment so far is killing a turkey with a bow. And oh. you are right. They don't flop. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I thought the turkey got away until I went back and looked at it. And they, uh, I was out in Nebraska and, you know, the turkey, they were coming down. First of all, I figured out that I probably will like hunting Miriams and Rios better than Easterns and Osceolas just because I can sit there and wail on that call, sound oh, terrible, yeah. <laughs> and they will still respond because <laughs> you can't right. you can't tell me that I sound good, especially at that time. I, right. you know, I called in, you know, a flock of Miriams and it caught me by surprise when they came in and I had my camera going and I'm looking at the colors and I'm looking at the different beards. And then finally it gets to the edge of the window on the blind and I'm like, well, shit, I got to shoot one of these things. Or they're all going to go away. And so <laughs> I, I, I draw back. Um, I hit him. The shot itself, of course, I didn't get on camera. You can hear me drawing the bow back, and you can hear the bow hitting the turkeys, and then they're gobbling all the way. And right. so he takes off, and I'm like, okay, well, he's still running. So clearly I must have not hit him or I didn't hit him right. And then he took off. He flew and then crashed underneath a cedar tree. Now, I'm all in my head thinking, like, I blew it. This is the only shot I'm going to get. I don't Came out here to Nebraska the first day, evening hunt. I got, you know, these turkeys. I was able to call them in, and I missed. Like, I'm never going to have a good shot opportunity. So I showed the, the video to the guy, and he was like, well, it looks like he flopped up under the tree. So we haul ass back to the spot we were at. I'm in my mind, I'm like, God, please don't let the bobcats or the coyotes get him if he's there. Sure right. enough, piled up under the cedar tree sitting just as dead as he wanted to be yep. as opposed to when I shot my turkey in Wisconsin, I hit that sucker and he just flopped and rolled and it was. <laughs> with your bow? No, God no. With a, 12, with a Mossberg 12 gauge, oh, man. Yeah. I yeah. And I popped that thing. He had to be about 30 yards away, and he probably rolled probably about another three yards after I hit him. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was but like, exactly Whoo. what you experienced with the bow thing is why it just doesn't do anything for me to shoot one with the bow. I like I like to see him flop and smell the gunpowder and feel the gun kick, and I just – but now my whitetail hunting, I, I rarely I rarely carry a rifle. I love getting a, getting above a whitetail in the stand or, or even on the ground for that matter, but that's – I love it. But yeah. I just don't care about don't care nothing about doing it with turkeys. Now, will you blind hunt turkeys, or are you just all um, all running gun? Oh no, I, I'll set up. But I now, when you say blinds, I don't use a pop up blind. I'm not a fan at all of a pop up blind. But I'll I'll make a natural a bush blind. You know, I'll cut some limbs or something, and just to cover up a little movement. Um, yeah. Or a lot of times, I'm just lazy. I just sit right at the base of the tree. I mean, I've killed, I don't know how many turkeys I've killed in my lifetime a lot, um, but I know I've probably killed 90% of them just sitting at the base of a tree. Yeah. Wow. Sitting now, at the base of a tree. Now, do you not being a fan of the pop-up blind, is it because it just limits you to that one area or like what? Oh, the absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I just, 
you're confined, you're locked in, the sound's a pain to get out, you know, and, and to get it directionally, you have to lean out the window. Um, mm-hmm. um, it's it's muffling as well. I did, there's, there's nothing about it that I like. I mean, I don't like any part of them. I've done, the only thing I've ever done, I've killed one turkey in a pop-up blind in Kansas mm-hmm. in the middle of a snowstorm and sleep. So that's why we popped it up to protect the camera. Yep. Your show, good film. It's on my show on Hunt Quest, actually. Um, but it's the Kansas hunt from a couple years, two years ago and it worked out in that situation. But, and then, you know, there's always the, the angle that people talk about with kids, but my, my take is, um, there's nothing wrong with it to get them in the woods. If they think they might like it a Mm -hmm. little bit, but once that you realize they do like it, I immediately would say transition them to learning how to hunt and being still and being a little bit patient. Like Jake, my son has never killed anything in a pop-up blind nothing he's killed what one grand slam and probably i think he's killed 25 or 30 turkeys already and he's 14. jesus and he uh i taught him at a young from the day from day one at five six years old he killed his first gobbler at six he he i would just set him between my legs and here's the thing when they get bored if you're not working a turkey actively working one and you're just kind of blind calling when i say blind calling just set up and calling to that you know to nothing but you're yep. just you're trolling um then to get up and walk and point out woodpeckers and deer and hogs and then you know set back down and then more importantly give them a box call and get take five minutes with them and teach them how easy it is to make a yelp on a box call and then let them engage in the hunt the entire time and deer hunting the same thing i mean he, we never sat very long when he was a, lo- a little fella. Now he'll sit all day. He will sit all day long in a deer stand. He does enjoy Kentucky <laughs> with us every year, and um, he loves it. Now, early on, though, we'd sit for an hour. We'd, we'd hunt that last hour or maybe an hour and a half after daybreak, one of the two, mm-hmm. and he loved it. And then little by little, he wanted to hunt more and more. So, you know, kids are the future. I guess I just felt compelled to touch on it briefly. And, and, and going back to the pop-up blinds, I mean, if you have to make a kid get in that, to take him hunting, there's just a very good possibility it's never going to stick. They're mm-hmm. just doing it because they can play with their iPad while they're in the blind, and you know they can move around and and they won't bust anything, and that's great. But in my opinion, that that gene is that gene was not coming out. The hunter gene, if if they truly get a thrill out of sitting in a pop-up blind, a deer or turkey hunt, quite honestly, I think you get them out in the woods and get them engaged you'll see real quick whether they're going to end up being a hunter. But but not, I'm not knocking it into the point of at least trying to get them out to start with. So there you go. No, sure. I mean, I, there's there's definitely some um, – I think there's a, there's a lot of validity to that. Um, you know, like when I first started with, with my son and breaking him out and stuff, we would sit in the blind a lot, um, you know, deer hunting – and whatnot, and we, you know, we'd see deer. You know, we'd see my biggest thing uh, because he really didn't have, like, he didn't really show any interest as far as like picking up like a gun or anything like that. Like he um, liked to shoot his bow, um, and I would, you know, let him bring his bow and stuff like that. But he really enjoyed running the camera. So oh, cool. like being, you know, in the blind and stuff, and even when we weren't you know, shooting like deer or anything like that, he'd sit there and he'd film, you know, squirrels or film, um, you know, like the little blue birds or red birds or whatever, like coming in and out or whatnot. If you see something, you know, on the like woodpeckers or whatever, like he enjoyed basically the filming. 
aspect of it. But I totally see what you're saying. Like the more engaged and the more that you can get them, even if it's just like learning how to blow like a grunt call or like you said, working the turkey box call to be more engaged than just sitting there on your phone or, you know, dozing off waiting for something to happen. So right. no, yeah. I, I totally, I, I totally get that. So, all right. So I'm a backup because one of the other things that you've done that I think is pretty freaking awesome. You started calling competitively at 17 and I know there's different schools of thoughts of competitive turkey call. Like I've seen people, they're like, well, none of my judges are alive to, you know, all my judges are dead. Right. Right. All of that, like all of that BS. Dude, 17, you started calling competitively. And then, like I said, four grand national champions, how did you go from, okay, I really love turkeys and I really love turkey hunting at 10 to, you know what, I'm going to call competitively and I'm going to dominate and get really good at it? Right. Um, great story. It's It all stemmed from I'm somewhat musical. I play a guitar. I can sing a, a clip. Um, uh it's, it's always easier to me for somebody that has the ability to identify rhythm and tone um, than, than a guy that's tone deaf, obviously. Um, so it, the, the mouth calls, all the calling came really natural and, and really, I don't want to say easy, but it just came really natural. And um, I got really good, really fast on mouth calls at a young age. And I realized more than anything, hunting, I grew up hunting public land in Florida. That's all I had to hunt. Mm. And uh, I was in the I was in the late '80s, early '90s, and that was right when the real explosion started with turkey hunting, the real big explosion, in my opinion. Um, and um, the more I got out in the public land and was, I guess, kind of lack of better terminology, competing with other hunters, I'm, I don't want to tell you I, it was my sole purpose to go out there and call turkeys away from people, but I was killing birds. It was ha- and it was happening. Because you didn't hardly get on a goblin turkey and not have one guy yapping at him over here, one guy yapping at him over there. I mean, literally, it's it's kind of dangerous to think about, but you, you encountered that a fair bit. You still do. Right. You still do. So besides that, not just calling a turkey away from somebody. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just saying I started killing the crap out of turkeys and calling lots of turkeys in. The better I understood the language and the more I got good at it. And so finally I said I'm, I've always been somewhat competitive. And I said, I'd like to take this to the next level. So the quick story about the 17 thing is I was technically a junior and uh, called up in the senior division in 1992. It was my senior year of high school, and I only had enough money for one division. And I thought, well, man, I'd like to call against the big boys and see. I I think I could do pretty good. Well, lo and behold, I placed second in that that contest, and that was the first one I'd ever entered. I was second in the Florida State senior division at 17. And from there to get to your where I'm at now, there was a quite a quite a hiatus um, because I went from um, let's see, I joined that that was in '92 of January, following December. I graduated in that summer after that, and then I was in college for for the first semester, and then I quit college and joined the army, and then was gone. So I actually did not call for four years. So I got back to Columbia, South Carolina. After going to Texas, going to Korea, I ended up back in Columbia, South Carolina, where I went to basic. And then I started competing 
um, at the South Carolina State. I think in 96 is when I came back into it. Sounds right. I don't think it was 95. It was 96. And then I quickly learned that, that this thing has even evolved since I started doing it. And I've got a lot to learn, mm. a lot to learn. Because I was competing against the fellows. Like, I don't know if you'll know any of these names because a lot of them don't call anymore. But Joe Drake was a, was a name. Mike Mayfield, William Terry, Mark Crudome. These are all competitive callers in that era. Uh, Skeet Thomas, Butch Dill, um, Walter Parrott, Chris Paris, all those guys. But that geographically, those those the first I mentioned were the guys that were to, to beat in that in that area. These were the South Carolina boys and the Georgia boys. So, anyways, so I got my butt handed to me like in '96 and '97. Thought I had it figured out. Might have been going the right direction, and I said, I got to figure this out. I can I got to probably start building my own calls, and that was the next level I'll get to here in just a second. But because you know, scoreball calls, are, you're just only going to get you so far. That's mm. uh, you got you got to, at some point, as good as our Woodhavens are, at some point you want to maximize your your abilities with the call, and that necessarily doesn't mean you may find the magic call that fits you, that makes you when you can call really good with it. But to really tweak your efforts and to tweak your abilities, you need to start tinkering and building your own stuff. So. That said, fast forward, I moved home after the Army. I moved back to Florida in 99 and called in 2000 and placed third in the Florida State in 2000. And then I, from there, I started calling a little bit more, calling a little bit more. I was placing, placing, placing. I won my first Florida State in 04, I think. And that's when I started tinkering and building my own calls. And that would be what, 17 years ago. And I never looked back from there. I started traveling as work allowed. I was, I was, uh, blessed to have enough money and a, and a, and a wife that supported it. And I was started traveling all over the country. Best mess I could. I was, uh, I'm in Florida, so I had to get on an airplane. So I find the best plane, cheapest plane ticket and hop on a plane. And, and people ask, why did you travel to all those states all those years? I said, because I wanted to take the hen I created as I got better and better and started building calls. I wanted to take my hen to judges' ears all over the place. So I know when we got to Grand Nationals in Nashville that there's going to be a very diverse panel. There's going to be guys from Tennessee and Georgia and South Carolina. There's no telling. So I um, knew traveling around, hitting judges different in different states all across the, na the nation, that this, this, this sound of the hen that I was hearing in my head that I was trying to emulate mm -hmm. would be a, would be a scoreable, a scoreable hen voice. And that's when I started winning, cause I've won probably 80 titles across the nation. That's gobbling friction, owl hooting, you know, I, I've just literally 80 to a hundred titles, open divisions, blah, blah, blah. So when I was winning and kicking butt and taking names all across the country, I knew when it come down to Nashville, I should be in the right I should be where I needed to be from a judge's perspective and for my, my hen Turkey. So, and that's when it started happening and, you know, won the three head to heads and top, have five top fives in the open and won the owl hooting. And I won the U S open owl hooting and top five in friction. I've top five in uh, the goblin division. I've had a, a good run of it. And now since COVID has changed a whole bunch of things, I don't know when the next calling contest will be honestly, but, but it's not going to hopefully shut down Turkey season again completely anyways. Right. Right. No, that that was one of the things that was kind of uh, aggravating last year. I know when we were speaking offline, you were talking about having a trip uh, planned. I had one planned to Texas to go hunt Rios, and I wanted to go so bad, but I just could Like, with everything um, starting up, I just I couldn't do it. And it was funny because the outfitter was just like, well, you know, it's like, well, where are you coming from again? I was like, Georgia. 
And he was like, um, he was like, okay, well, why don't you drive? I said, I wouldn't mind driving. I've driven to Texas before. It wouldn't be a big thing. I said, mm-hmm. but um, Louisiana is like closing their borders and stuff. And I don't want to drive all the way from Georgia, get to Louisiana and can't, you know, or get turned oh, around God. at the border. Like, cause this was like when everything was just starting. So you got people, you know, you got states talking about, you know, if you come in the state, you can't leave for 14 days, you know, people are closing, closing their borders. So he goes, well, if you go up and come in through Oklahoma, you won't have a problem. I'm like, dude, I am not going (laughs) completely out of the way driving to come in and kill turkeys. I said, you know what? Let's try. I said, you said my deposit's good, right? He was like, yeah, your deposit's good. I was like, all right, put it to the side. I said, I'll either come there for a deer hunt uh, later on this year or we'll try turkey hunting again next year. And he was like, all right, that's fine. I was like, I'm not driving around and coming through Oklahoma to come come kill turkeys. (laughs) And that's like. We talked about again offline. Um, I had a trip planned to Washington State, ticket ball, and one to Michigan, and I was actually right on the cusp of pulling the trigger on on one to go hunt Maine. I was going to hunt Maine. That was the three new states I was going to try to kill birds in: Michigan, Maine, and and uh, Washington. Because mm-hmm. I hunt, I, I I basically am trying to get a super slam, as we discussed. I've got I think 24, 25 states knocked out. So. So, With all this, it changed everything because I don't even know at this point what this turkey season is going to hold either, to be honest with you. Um, right. It's, uh, it's, de- it's definitely up in the air. Definitely up in the air at this point. Well, to go back real quick, just for my listeners that may not completely understand, let's break down the slams real quick. So the Grand Slam, and you correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the <laughs> – Eastern Miriam, Eastern Miriam Rio, and Osceola. Those are the four subspecies. Right. That's considered the grand, a grand slam, correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. Now, when you say, and that's anywhere in North America, not just in the United States, right? Right. But there's only place that those birds are out of the continental U.S. would be uh, Hawaii. New Zealand has turkeys. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. I, outside of that, I think a black forest has turkeys in Europe or something. They introduced them. But anyways, yes, okay. so, so you're, you're good there. And, and then, then the Osceola is only in Florida. Correct. Okay. That's right. Um, so if you kill all four of those, um, it's considered a grand slam. If you kill all four of those in a year, which a lot of people obviously have done, is that any more – is that like any, like a – any more of a grand slam or is it just no it's just a, a really awesome accomplishment i've done it twice i think no four times wow i don't even know now i've gotten i've gotten six grand slams and two world slams and i don't even know i've lost track but i've done it at least twice i know because i did it with my son on one time on one a couple of years it's on hunt quest again on my show on youtube check out hunt quest it's on there how and cool then, is go ahead that? and finish your th- No, but I was just saying, how cool is that to accomplish that? It's cool to do it in a year. Yeah, it's really neat to do it in a year and visit all the places you'd have to go to do it. And with your son. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And then now the the Royal Slam add the Goulds to the four. four. And that's down in Mexico, right? Right, right. Okay. And and, and I think now they're giving tags in Arizona and New Mexico, I think. Both states are now getting them on the southern borders, I believe. Oh, okay. Yep. 
and um, or is it just it's just Arizona? I'm not even 100. I think it's just Arizona. But anyways, and then you add the oscillated, and that's the um, the World Slam. Okay. And oscillated is the cousin of the American Wild Turkey. It's the green blue colored one with the long spurs, no beard. They make they don't gobble like our turkeys. They make a different sound. Um, something I've never even entertained the idea of doing. Probably never where, do it. where do you have to go to to kill one of you, those? Uh, Central America, South, Yucatan Peninsula. Yep. Wow. Down in I guess Belize, I think is where them things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then was and then the super you mentioned the Super Slam. Right. What is the, the U.S. Super Slam is just killing a turkey in all 49 states that that have them that are indigenous to the states, which is every state but Alaska. Wow. They've even got the Rios in Hawaii, like I said. Wow! How off the top of your head? I know it's putting you on the spot, but on the top of off the top of your head is the Super Slam. Is that something that's been done like a lot? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a few guys that's done it. Um, I mean, I think that list is fairly short. Maybe Daniel Roar's done it. Dave Owens has done it. I think Kenny Mount's done it. Dave Owens has the Penhody Project. Um, there's not a lot of people. I mean, I bet there's a dozen guys that's done it. There's not a ton. It's yeah. a pretty, pretty touted, you know. Like I said, I think I've done 24 states, and I feel like, you know, if I ever, if I never killed one in another state, that that would still be something pretty cool to talk about and you know sitting around the table but i, I just want to do it because it's something that would be cool to do you know what i mean man hell yeah all the different terrains all the places that because i've literally hunted turkeys in every region of the u.s i mean from washington idaho that pacific northwest central D- dakotas i've killed birds in nebraska you going all the way to new york and then coming all the way down to florida then you go back west in texas oklahoma kansas um the only thing i haven't is the pacific southwest is is that such a thing i've not killed a bird in new mexico california that's mm-hmm. one the only one spot in that kind of in that region that i haven't killed a bird yet and i've got some good connections in california i want to go back out there one year and kill one but cool stuff cool stuff man that that is phenomenal and definitely like i've let's see Cause I was doing this the other day. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, Miriam and two Easterns. So mm-hmm. I still got like a Osceola and a Rio just to complete, uh, just a general grand slam. Maybe one day when I can actually have the time, I'll try to complete a grand slam in a year. I, I kind of on the back burner want to complete a bow grand slam sure. um, just because I love bow hunting. But man, after killing two turkeys with a shotgun, I'm kind of like, I see why people, <laughs> I see why people say well, you should, turkeys were made to be shot in the face because oh, yeah. it, it's definitely, it's, it, it's a different, it's a different feeling. So, um, but no, so now I know you got to have a bazillion different turkey recipes, right? Don't, don't tell me you're the guy that loves to go turkey hunting, but it hates to eat turkey. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> absolutely love it. I've got all kinds of recipes. Well, you want me to share one of them with you? Yeah, what, what's your best one? What's your go-to? Um, my go-to is just fry it. Okay. Um, there's a There's a... 
and a marinade out that you can get at Publix grocery stores. Um, you can get it online. It's called Allegro Wild Game Marinade. Um, it's a soy-based marinade, but it's not salty like your your Dukes, your Dukes, your Dales, Dales. You can put it in there like overnight, and it doesn't overpower the meat. After that, I use a blend of 50-50 uh, cornmeal and flour and go to town. Nothing to it. But that's just, you know, outside of that, they're getting a little more a little more in-depth is, is a recipe where I'll take the, the nuggets mm-hmm. and cut them, I don't know, in a two-by-two-inch square, and then I'll pound them out thin like schnitzel almost. Oh, Oh yeah, and then you can take and put spinach in there and provolone cheese, and then wrap it in bacon, and then throw it on the grill. Season it up to your liking, and throw it on the grill. That's fantastic. You can pound that breast real thin and and fry it like uh, schnitzel, like German schnitzel. Amazing. Um, just using just seasonings, and um, I guess it's what's the kind of bread? Panko. I think he's panko on to do that schnitzel stuff. And you can put make up a good white gravy with that, and just smear it all over. It's fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think, but honestly, 95% of the time we are just frying nuggets and we, and it doesn't last. A bird won't get, it won't make it to the fridge. <laughs> it won't make it to the fridge on that evening. Are yeah. you, um, are you a, a big whole turkey guy? Like, have you, do you take the time to pluck them? Not- I've done it a couple times and we've deep fried them and that what we marinated and injected and deep fried and it was fantastic, but it's just a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, but I'm not saying that you know that I wouldn't do it, or I also we take the thighs off, and you can you can cook those thighs, and they're very tender. The dark meat, it's mm-hmm. really good. Really, you can make a roast or a, uh, a like a turkey salad out of the thighs. You can do it out of the drumsticks. You just gotta you gotta pressure cook it or parboil it, and then put it in a cock pot, and then peel it back. And once you do that, you can make a nice turkey salad out of drumsticks. There's a lot of turkey. Sadly enough, and I'm just as guilty. There's a lot of meat on a wild turkey that just gets tossed aside. I mean, it's really sad. Right, because the easiest thing is just to split them open, breast them oh, out, yeah. and, and keep it moving. It's, same, it's basically right. the same thing with any bird. I'm the same way with, with turkeys, geese, ducks, the whole thing. Like, I did, uh, a, I did a couple of whole ducks uh, last Christmas because that was just, like, once I – kind of got into it and understood like everything you had to do. I was like, okay, this is not as hard as I thought, but doing a whole geese or a whole Turkey, especially like those geese that we used to kill in Illinois, those big ass, like wingspan geese and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, man, trying to do a whole one of those, like you said, it's, it's work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think those are the greater candidates that you're talking about. You got the lesser and the greater, the greaters are the giant ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those, yep. oh man. Now you talk about something that's fun to, to, to hit with a mm-hmm. shotgun because those things can be Teflon if you don't hit them right. Right. Um, so, all right. You got your championships. You got the your recipes. You know, you're having fun. You, you're killing turkeys. Hunt Quest. I like the name Hunt Quest because it, it, it's definitely all-encompassing. So you're not just right. limited to, like, turkeys or just limited to deer. Like, it, it's, That's you know, right. obviously, like you said, Hunt Quest. It's all about the quest. I mean, I like killing things and eating them. I mean, that's the end <laughs> thing. You know what I mean? Right. But it's half the fun is the quest to do it, to get to the kill point. You know, just that's half the fun. Three-quarters of the fun even sometimes. Yep. Putting in the, putting in the work. To, That's right. to be able to get there. And majority of now I've I've checked out a couple of episodes. I, I can admit I've not 
watch them in in depth as I should be. Are they okay. all um you always carry a camera guy with you or some of them like self-filmed? Like I can't imagine uh, trying to self-film killing turkeys, running and gunning. I mean, that's a lot going on. I tried self-filming uh bow hunting this year and I'm pleased with the success, but that's, you know, bow hunt for, or for deer. Yeah. But for turkeys, um, what about what what say what I say generally you? have a uh, a guy that's just above one of my buddies will usually run camera or I'll run it if I'm calling. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, I'll, I do that a lot, and um, I've self filmed Shane Simpson just to throw a little love out to my old buddy Shane Simpson. He's got a show called um, Calling All Turkeys, and Shane has perfected the art of self filming um, hunts, um, and he gets some great great footage of him, just him and his camera and his shotgun. It's pretty awesome how, how good he is at it. So I'm giving him some props, but, um, gen- turkeys generally, I mean, I, I've done it a little bit, but I generally hunt with buddies mm-hmm. like 98% of the time I'm hunting with somebody. It's always funner, you know, sharing a turkey hunt with somebody. So that ends up being, I'm filming them or they're filming me or vice versa. And, um, so that's kind of the way we roll with, with my show on, on YouTube, hunt quest on YouTube, just to say it. So and the first season is on the Mossio Go app, but I have uh, I have scaled back. I'm only using my my own YouTube channel now. So. Nice, nice for promote. That's hey, I'm all about self promotion. What um like where did you come up like with the idea or the want to to start filming and start and start capturing it? I know so many times a lot of people they just you know enjoy doing their hunts and stuff. But then, you know, you take it to the next level and wanting to start capturing the stuff and putting it out on YouTube and what and whatnot. Was there like a, an epiphany or, or something that drove you to do it? Or was it just like, you know what, I think I'm going to start capturing this stuff? Yeah, that's basically, I mean, I was um, on some television shows early on, um, I mean, years ago, in the mid-2000s, on Pursuit, um, sportsman i'm trying to remember the different i can't even hardly remember the nwtf has put me on a, a lot of shows mm-hmm. uh, on turkey we used to be turkey call i don't know if it's uh even on the air anymore but but yeah i mean i was just involved with being filmed and um i don't know that's a great that's a great question i know was no epiphany i go well you know what this is fun i like sharing i would not mind sharing with the masses the adventure that is turkey hunting why i love it so much and um that's kind of where i went with it just one day started I started with a decent entry level camera and then worked my way up and and now I'm using a not a high high end camera it's just a four eight or a ten eighty i it's a it's a Canon XA eleven and a Canon XA twenty oh. that's the two Canons I'm running yep that's I haven't gone to four K yet but they do just fine they do just fine yep that's uh it's funny because I got a uh, one of the older XA twenty fives that I used to take with me to shoot like scenics and stuff, and mm-hmm. I started filming, like I said, filming uh, deer hunts. I got a couple of doe kills and a and a uh, very uh, interesting miss that I was able to record this year. But um, I love the Canons, the xa 11s the xa 25s the xa 20s they're all basically the same camera with a few um right. with a few chip yeah there are a few chip differences a few um feature differences or whatever but easy to use like just yeah. great in the woods I, I i definitely rocks with those um mm-hmm. so 
before I get ready to get out of get you out of here, there's two things. <laughs> Thing number one, if you're listening to our podcast, you're listening to to the podcast today, and you say, "Dang it, I think just by listening to these two guys talking about turkey hunting, I want to try turkey hunting." What do you recommend? Somebody brand spanking new going out turkey hunting. Scott Ellis, Scott mm-hmm. Ellis's recommendations. What do you recommend? Like, how do they get started? Like, what call? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what basically entry level turkey hunting 101? What would right. what would you recommend? Um, the easy, quick answer is find somebody, find a buddy that already does it. That and try to try to connect with somebody um, locally. It's not that hard through friendships and, and mutual friends and, and social media. I mean, it's just not that hard to find somebody sharing a common interest. That's the first thing. Go with somebody that's halfway decent at it. The next thing is go to my YouTube channel. There's so many instructionals and so many things on my YouTube channel about turkey hunting and teaching turkey hunting and uh, learning to call and how to call the birds, how to set up on birds. Um, after that, I have an app. Um, it's called Turkey Tech. I don't know if you were aware of this. It's called Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. It's on um, Google Play and the App Store, and it is a comprehensive, in-depth look at uh, hunting situations. And uh, there's some video and setup stuff on hunting situations, and then it's every, literally every like 12 sounds of the wild turkey, and it has me creating those sounds on a mouth call and a pot call. More importantly, it's got wild turkey audio of the turkey doing it. And then it has written tips about what the call is, when you should use it, just the written words, you know, that you can dig into and kind of understand a little bit more. And there's also a recorder built into the app that you can access your microphone and you can record your sounds, your calling, and run it against the turkeys and run it against me. Pretty oh, really wow. awesome. That it's is like pretty cool. It's four ninety nine. It's it's cheaper than a cup of cappuccino and it'll teach you Literally, you could take this app and roll with this thing and, and spend a week with it and go out and halfway know you wouldn't be lost in the woods. You know what I mean? Right. You, you would not be lost in the woods trying to kind of work your way through how to kill a turkey. It's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm pretty proud of it. Man. Oh, man. I almost messed, my, I messed myself up there for a second. No, but what I was saying, that, wow. The, to be able to have that uh, – to have that right there to kind of like gauge, you know, how well mm-hmm. you're doing and stuff like that, man. Technology is amazing. <laughs> yes, it really is. Cause we had record players when we were kids. I mean, legit, I had a cassette tape and a record player. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you forget, you forget we're only three years. I'm 46. You're 43. So you don't remember those days. I re- oh the cassettes definitely I remember oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. De- I remember the cassettes the Walkman hell I remember getting when I got a CD player that was like you living uh, yeah you living on the big side of town if you got a CD player oh or a CD uh, a discman oh man oh boy yeah that was big <laughs> stuff you were you were like you said living on the what the high side of yeah, town. Yeah, you was living on the big side of town like like uh what Rick Flair used to say living in a big house in the big side oh, of town. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever owned one of those. I don't think I was ever able to have a discman. I think I had a Walkman. Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. Funny how technology is afforded um 
the, the tools out there to, to heck you can get good about anything you want to do now thanks to social media and, and, and all of the um, tools that are available now and, and all the different platforms that so it's right at your finger fingertips yeah no it, between but between like you say YouTube and then just between YouTube and Google it is amazing uh, if you really want to be a DI a DIY guy at just about or gal at just about anything between like I say YouTube and Google it is it's out there so it's there absolutely it is 100% there so what's the second thing the one thing was that how do I get started what was the second thing the second thing is I just wanted you to let everyone know where they can follow you your YouTube page, like all that stuff. If they want to just do a deep dive into Scott Ellis, where can they go? Absolutely. I've got a Facebook fan page, business page, if you will. It's a hunt quest with Scott Ellis. Um, my Instagram is just Scott underscore C underscore Ellis, or you can type in hunt quest. And I think it pulls it up that way too, uh, in the browser on, on um, Instagram. Um, also, I have two mouth call DVDs that are still available. On top of that app, um, you can go to my website, scottellishunting.com, scottellishunting.com, and there's uh, I have Hunt Quest t-shirts available there. I've got Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, which is also two more training tools for helping people learn how to call turkeys. They're good, very good instructional, so I've had them out, oh gosh, one of them eight, nine years now, and the other one uh was about three three or four years later mouth call one magic one was about eight years ago mouth call magic two was like four years after that so been in the works for a long time sold a bunch of copies had a bunch of great com uh, testaments to a lot of turkey hunters that have changed their game for them um and then of course hunt quest just type it in on youtube subscribe click the subscribe button and a little more challenging for new episodes this year. It's something I wish I, I'm trying to come up with ideas of doing more content now. I think I may end up doing more instructional stuff because I only hunted the state of Florida last year. So I only have a handful of hunts, you know, a few weekends that six weekends of hunts. So that was that, you know, COVID shutting everything down. I've got, uh, I'm dropping episodes on Fridays right now and I've got a couple more left and then I may have to start getting creative. So if you got any uh, content ideas, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram or on Facebook and say, Hey, do a video on this. I'd love to hear what your guys thoughts are about what would be cool to do. If you're not able, if I'm, if I've ran out of content from last season, basically. So I wish I had the ability to hunt every day. Like some of my, my buddies that are doing more of a full-time gig at it. Cause the real deal at this, at this media stuff, and this uh, channel, YouTube channel is to keep that, that content rolling every three or four days. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, I work full time. I'm not blessed enough to be able to work hunt or, uh, be in the hunting industry and live off of it. A lot of people think differently. They, so I guess that's something to throw out there. I, I, I work a regular job, so I don't have that ability to, uh, to hunt like that, but I'm working on it and I would love to hear ideas on any more content. Yeah. Most people would be, be surprised how many of your favorite hunters, uh, are just regular old nine to five Joes, uh, just trying to make a living. So to feed their, uh, feed their quote unquote hobby, uh, yep. they'd, they'd be surprised, man, Scott, I really appreciate it. Like I said before, I wanted to talk to you. I admired you from afar. Uh, I when I first, um, 
came in contact. Like I said, I was listening to that podcast and I was listening to you talk about hunting turkeys and then I seen like some of your videos and then follow you on Instagram. It was just like, wow, this this dude is <laughs> he is hell on turkeys. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate it. It's a, it's a been an honor. I appreciate the conversation and I've enjoyed it. Anytime, have me back anytime. I'll come every year. We'll talk more stuff sometime. Just let me know. Thank you once again to Scott Ellis taking the time to come through here on the Bryantland show. Really enjoy talking to him and learning more about turkey hunting you know i i'm still trying to get to a place now where i can be a better turkey hunter and scott is definitely a wealth of knowledge we continued offline uh probably about another 30 45 minutes after we finished our interview uh so really enjoy talking to him hope you guys were able to learn pick up some stuff and be able to get ready for turkey season coming up here pretty soon like i said late february uh for those of you that are trying to get your kids out get the youth out youth hunt late february and then march in a lot of places uh will be the time that turkey season kicks off as for us here on the bryantland show we're going to move on out the way hope you have a great rest of your day enjoyed listening to this podcast make sure you hit us up on the apple with the five star rating send us a review uh, if you got any feedback anything that you want to share with us please make sure that you do so we're always open to feedback even if it's not always such positive feedback still open to it still like it still want to hear from you All right. Thank you again. We really appreciate y'all. Next week, we will have another wonderful episode of the Bryantland Show. I did a lot of recordings last week, so I got guests lined up in the hopper. We just got to decide who's going to be next. Black History Month starts next week in February, so that'll be awesome. But make sure you come back right here next week for another episode of the Bryantland Show. Have a great week, everyone. Catch you on the flip.